Yeah, we're. I mean, we're going to talk about you know Wes Anderson and Richard Kelly for the most part. Um, I do have a little bit. Here's here's a little bit. Let's let's kick off the podcast. I I kind of we don't really get political a lot, and I don't think this is really that political. But uh, you know, the oh, Supreme Court shut political. down loan forgiveness this week, and mm. because of that. I have decided to unforgive the government for a number of things. Allow me oh. to enunciate. Uh, <laughs> one, in. ever electing George W. Bush president, even though he lost the popular vote and Florida couldn't get its shit together. I remember that. Two, though. not fixing every pothole on my street with the exorbitant mm. amount of money that I pay That's them back fair. for simply going to school. Yep. <laughs> Three, not getting their shit together when an election season <laughs> comes along and I have been paying them for an exorbitant amount to live in this country and have gone to school. Yep. Four, ever convincing me that going to college was the best decision <laughs> to make. Can right? I have five? Can I have five? Yes. Yes, you can add five. Having the Feel TSA, free. Having the TSA have all these regulations, but only having one TSA agent work at a time so the line is five times as long as it needs to be, making me even wait longer to get to my airplane. That literally Six. happens to me all the time. Six, the idea of security theater in general, because it mm. convinces idiotic people that it's actually effective when it's not. <laughs> Seven, Wisconsin. I don't know what for in wisconsin but the government yeah, definitely no. either did do or didn't do something with keys. it you know that, that right? oh is, does it come from wisconsin did you not know about that in like i can't remember what year it was but there was a decade where the government basically yes. made cheese and flooded the market and like ruined the dairy farmers market for a really long time oh had, like, go a figure of government cheese there's a bunker of it fucking a yeah, fucking, it it's a cheese republic. <laughs> That's what back. it is. We have a cheese republic. Love it. Yep. That's where we can start the podcast on cheese republic because it's quirky and we're getting into the quirkiness this week. Ratatouille. <laughs> you definitely right? haven't been asleep yet. <laughs> Are you ready to clap? I'm seated in my room, so I have to slap my face. I'm actually, like, wide awake, though, is the crazy thing. All right. Well, good. Good. Three. Two. One clap. Good job. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> we did Every it. time. We did it. It's perfect. Uh, all right. Cool. Welcome mm. back to the Unpop Podcast. A sleepless Odie Matthews here with me. I am Kevin Miner, the captain of this ship, Soy el Capitan por todo el siempre. Mm. He, him. With me uh -huh. as always is? Uh, well, I'm the cook now. I got promoted. Head chef. Odie Matthews, they, them. Not head chef. Chef. I didn't well, say head, head chef. chef. I said chef. What? Chef is head chef. Chef is not head chef. I am John Favreau. I am head chef. I am Bradley John Cooper. Favreau is not head hot. chef of anything. He is I am fictitious. Bradley Cooper. I He's am fictional chef. chef. He's also a fictional. Name a real chef, Odie. I Name a Bobby real Slay. chef. I'm Emeril No, I said a real chef. <laughs> I am I am Johnny Spitbucket down at the local spittoon that cooks my fried cheesesteaks. That's, that's a cook. Now. That's not a chef. That's a cook. Whatever. 
Odie, uh, yes. your job is your job. If you want to be promoted is to bring me a real chef and you have to name him. A real chef. Okay. Fine. Not, not right Weissman. now. Nope. This goes on. To, no. Who? Joshua Weissman. He's a really famous chef on YouTube. I don't know. I have his cookbook. I don't know. And his apron. You can be, you can be not a chef and have a cookbook. I'm head chef. Anyways, continue. There are so on. many things you cannot be and then also have a thing, right? I have a cookbook. Therefore, I'm head chef. Yep. Much like you can be an Academy Award winning director and continue to improve your style. Much like you could also be an Academy Award winning director and com- write write a fever dream really into existence. <laughs> <laughs> or yeah yeah no, and we're here to talk about yeah. all of it the, yeah, we, yeah. we <laughs> talked about this at the, at the end of last podcast we're getting into quirky movies you mm. decided to focus on wes anderson and well, then i came that. to you and yes. then you pivoted really well, hard and then i really pivoted fast. well because i didn't want to just do wes anderson because no, i love fair. wes anderson and that's i have fair. things to say but a lot of the compliments that i would give to the movies and a lot of the themes and motifs about wes anderson like without getting like too deep divey and making it like just a wes anderson where oh, we're yeah. analyzing a frame by frame which i don't want to do because this is an audio podcast for now right mm. um <laughs> for now ultimately what other form for of podcast is there it's only audio. video well we could do a vodcast right it's still I mean, technically a podcast you just have a, a video podcast camera. but but then we can add scenes from things uh-huh. anyway yeah like we could do video essays if you wanted to i'd write point, video okay. essays let's write video essays anyway um so we want to talk about i, I personally would love to because i came to you in the middle of the week and i was like odie i know exactly what i'm bringing to the table and then we watched and it, it was, at the same time and yeah, texted each other during it which was my an experience i scrolled through <laughs> that that list of text messages i have to say probably one of my favorite memories of us now is both of us being high watching <laughs> southland tales directed by richard kelly because that was uh, hilarious that like was such I, a good time. You were like, you're like, I'm high, and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna go get a gummy. <laughs> and then Great. about 15 minutes later, I was like, this is infinitely better. <laughs> like, I told you. This is just so okay. much better. Because I didn't deny it. I, I embraced it. I was like, yes, you are correct, Odie. This is the of right course, idea. Because I know how to watch movies. But because yeah. Southland Tales, there's so much to it. I feel like there is a lot of potential to talk about that for a really long time. Yeah, so I'd like I'll, to start with the Wes Anderson films that I actually got to see because I didn't get to all of them anyway. Whoa. Oh, you flipped it on me. I flipped you it on flipped, you. Okay. I would like to let's, do Southland Tales second. Let's do it this way as long as part of your jam is you talking about Asteroid City. Well, That's I'm going to talk about deal. Asteroid City at the start. You want to talk about Asteroid City now. So I have something really cool for my jam that I'm excited to share with you. Okay. I also have a really weird and quirky jam that I'm excited to share with you. Didn't say so. any of those words. I said I had a really cool one that I wanted, and then you, you said me too. But then you said weird and quirky, two words. Yes, yours I is also weird and quirky, mine. and I'm ready Not for it. I'm right. ready for it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well. Anyway. So spoilers for okay. all of these movies, right? I mean, yeah. Right. Uh, yes. Let's do a Wes Anderson style spoilers, right? It was June 27th, 1962, a summer where lavender and catman fever pervaded the air, and that was exactly when I noticed them. The spoilers. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, so I only actually ended up getting to watch uh, two of his movies. I went and saw Asteroid City, and then I watched The Grand Budapest Hotel. Because... You didn't watch French Dispatch? So I had fully intended 
the day that we watched Southland Tales, I fully intended after watching that movie to make myself a sandwich and then watch The French Dispatch. But Southland Tales took so much of my energy and effort that I am not joking. It was about 7 o'clock my time, and I started to crawl into bed. I went to bed at 8.30 that night because it just took so much you. out of me. Oh, my God. I can't wait yesterday, to talk about it. Yesterday, I watched uh, The Grand Budapest because that movie is one of my favorite movies of, like, all okay. time. So that's an all easy right. one for me to watch. So yeah. All right. First off, okay, let's Asteroid touch City. on – Let's yeah okay yes Asteroid City right off the rip yeah the newest movie first (laughs) yes because it's already out of theaters we're working backward in time (laughs) yes we are we are okay we're gonna go 2023 2014 and then 2005 yeah (laughs) all right let's go let's go all right Asteroid City I have not seen this Odie give me give me the rundown on Asteroid City so. Like I said, spoilers, and this movie, unfortunately, is already out of theaters, at least where I'm at. But if you get the chance to see it, you should. So, yes. if you don't want to know anything about it, I think that's the best way to go into it, and that's what I did. I didn't watch a trailer. I just knew, hey, Wes Anderson movie was coming out. I'm going into it blind. I saw it twice. All right, then my I'm going to leave, viewing, and you just talk for 30 minutes, oh, and then... Oh, my God. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm kidding. That. I'm kidding. <laughs> so, this movie is about, and I noticed this with Wes Anderson when I was re-watching The Grand Budapest and then thinking about, like, the fantastic Mr. Fox and Isle of Dogs and the French Dispatch. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, the only one I haven't seen is Life of, Life of the Aquatic. <gasps> the Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Yeah. Yes. I need to see that one. Um, wow. So maybe you can, you can fill in the blank on this. But nope. Wes Anderson. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, Wes Anderson has a really good job of making movies that have a very, um, like, almost fourth wall setting. And my example of that is the Grand Budapest Hotel is two people sitting down telling a story that we're seeing as they're telling it, right? The narrative is two people telling a story. In Asteroid City, the narrative is 1950s, like, TV host person is telling you a story about a playwright, and then you are watching that play that he wrote. Asteroid City is a play that he wrote. And so there's a lot of, like, scenes where the actor is in the play of Asteroid City and then leaves the play set to go talk to a real-life person. And it's all, like, very fourth-wall breaky, but all in the style of you're watching, a like, almost like a documentary about a play. But, like, in the 1950s realm, which is another reason I'm a big fan of it. But I don't want to say too much about it because I really want people to see it. But Asteroid City... It just really scratched an itch. If I uh-huh. like that's the best way I can put it, because the whole movie is like it's it's I don't know. The message I got from it is like, hey, if you're weird and you're quirky and like you have things that you enjoy that other people think are weird, like just embrace it and like do what you love and then like enjoy it and like be yourself and don't pretend to be other people. Because yes. like there's this a really interesting theme of like the main character who's playing like the lead in the play. Like, there's a lot of scenes of him leaving the play and talking to other people and him being like, am I doing it right? Like, what am I doing wrong? Like, I feel like I'm not really being the character the way I should. Like, there's a lot of through lines when they break the fourth wall and, like, these characters come in that just, like, make the whole film just feel really, like, really compact. And it's a really brisk hour and a half watch. And on top of that, one of my favorite things that they did and this is the last thing I'm going to say about Asteroid yeah, City, yeah, yeah. is 
Well, why are you laughing so much? Because it's the opposite of. Uh, oh yeah, it totally is. It's the, the opposite, of opposite of Southland, Southland Tales. Tales. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Okay. Because the other thing that they did in this is there's two scenes specifically where you get to see how the people in the play got their part in the play. And there's a fantastic yeah. scene with Willem Dafoe and Edward Norton and Adrian Brody and uh, Matt Dillon and um, the lead, oh uh, my God, uh, Jason, uh, no, what's his name? What's his name, Kevin? What's his name? Jason Schwartzman? Yeah, that's his name. Thank you. I got you. Um, there's a beautiful scene with them, and it's shot in black and white. I thought you were going to get it. I legitimately was I, like, he's going to get this. I'm not going to say I wasn't going to get it. <laughs> I wasn't going to get it. Um, but there's a scene where, like, Willem Dafoe is this, like, really famous, like, theater teacher, and, like, Edward Norton plays the playwright, and Adrian Brody plays the director of the play, and uh, the guy you just said, whose name I already forgot, plays the, the lead character, right? He's, like, the lead actor. And there's this really interesting scene where they're doing, like, these exercises and Edward Norton is, like, explaining the scene and, like, the theater actors are, like, reacting to it. And Yep. I don't know. I, 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 my thing with Wes Anderson is if you love film and you love theater and you love cinema, yeah. I feel like his movies are a great way to experience both. You mm -hmm. know? It's just a really, really, mm -hmm. really, really well done movie. It's probably... If it's not my favorite movie I've seen this year so far, it's definitely in my top three. Uh-huh. I will say that. Okay. Yeah. And that's cool. my very brief summary without spoiling too that much. That was a non-spoilery summary. All right, oh, cool. Good. Well, let's it's just so let's good. go off that. That's good. Yeah. That's good for us. That's all I wanted to say. Oh, great. Well, the, I put the spoilers way back there, but we don't need yeah, them until case. now. Just in case. Yeah, just all right. Case. Anyway. If you don't want to know anything about Asteroid City, then I would say that everything I just said, like some of the scene spoils and everything, that could be a spoil. Here's Spoiler. what's reminiscent to me about you talking about Asteroid City and how I feel about the Grand Budapest Hotel is that the Grand Budapest Hotel is an homage, right, to mm -hmm. movies about hotels that take place in and around Eastern Europe that influenced wes anderson in making mm -hmm. it so much so that there are these like there are these like almost direct nods to them like uh the silence and um uh what uh the the something curtain um by hitchcock which is a lesser known oh, film yeah and um there's one other that pops but uh wes anderson does a really good job of taking the things he wants to analogize or, or you know make make an homage to and then doing it so that it's not the same and even sometimes mm -hmm. playing with your expectations for like if you had seen these movies right um like if you've seen Hitchcockian films and you know that he's making the reference as a theater lover as a film lover going toward what you're saying you're then like you're watching it you're like oh my god this is just like the opening of this Hitchcock film, and then he subverts your expectation, kind of like nodding to you, like I know that you get it, but here's my way, you know. Like it's yeah, he's a he's a proper artist in that way. Um, I'm actually kind of bummed that you didn't want to talk about the French Dispatch because the French Dispatch is a love letter to the New Yorker, which is a magazine that yeah. um, you know, Wes Anderson has loved and been collecting for a long time. Uh. It, 
Odie, do you know enough about Wes Anderson to lay the groundwork for who he is as an as a director and who he is as a person before we talk about the Grand Budapest Hotel? Or um, not so much of him as a person. I just really know his film style and more in that realm. I don't really know much about him as a person. And I got to be honest, when it comes to him as a filmmaker, the only movie that really like up until Asteroid City like really stuck out to me was the Grand Budapest Hotel. Okay. Because um, I actually haven't seen the French Dispatch. That's like that one in the aquatic movie. Oh. The only two I haven't seen. Oh my so, God! Well, I have yeah. seen a lot of. I I have officially seen more Wes Anderson films than you. Uh, <laughs> yes, because I've seen <laughs> the Life Aquatic and the French Dispatch now. Because I watched it and Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yes, I've seen the Fantastic Mr. Fox and the Isle of Dogs because okay, those. And and here's an interesting thing about Wes Anderson. Those are Wes Anderson telling someone else's story and very specifically using claymation Mm -hmm. and a less believable lifestyle or a less believable medium right something that sort of separates you the viewer from the medium in order to to tell another story yes um and i think that that's really cool because when wes anderson is telling you his stories and you're watching them you're watching them played out by these ensemble casts and you're watching them Wes Anderson has, um, I would say, a few things that I would apply to the Grand Budapest Hotel before you. I I kind of want you to summarize it and talk about it. But a couple of things that I would apply is the idea that the the film itself is an homage, but that the overarching plot of the film is that the main character of the story ends up caretaking what essentially is an homage. So there's mm-hmm. a little bit of self-insertion from Wes Anderson in in the fact that like Wes Anderson's making this homage and then showing the dedication that and love that people can have for a thing, right? Like oh, so, yeah. so 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 um uh Ralph Ray Fiennes, right? The yes, the, who who's arguably the main character of the he entire is. film. I mean him um, and yeah, yes. So uh he 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 ends up he loves this hotel so much he's now the caretaker for it right yeah Um, he's the concierge yes well he was the concierge but then eventually owns it yes well yeah spoilers but kind kind of okay but yeah briefly we already said we said spoilers a long time ago but owns it for like a day because then he gets shot remember yes but here's the interesting thing about that is the idea of the homage itself right the tribute right he's doing it out of tribute it's not done for himself and i feel like there's a level of wes anderson saying i'm not so much making this art for myself as i'm making it for the things that i love and to communicate them to you the viewer that's a line in the movie at the end when the older versions of the characters are talking which is jude law and older zero whose actor's name i can't remember he even says like at the end, there's a line where he says that he thinks that Gustav, Ray Fine's character, yep. he was living in a time period that had already passed. You know, yes. his, like, his, what he was, his lifestyle was in the past, and he, you know, it just happened to work. And that's kind of like an homage. So yeah. you can see within the first, like, 10 minutes and just the descriptive language that the characters use to set the, the scene of the hotel, you mm-hmm. can tell immediately it's a love letter to hotels, which is another reason I love it, because... One of my favorite episodes of SpongeBob SquarePants growing up was the episode where Mr. Krabs takes the Krusty Krab and transforms it into a hotel. And I Ah. have been obsessed with hotels 
since I was a kid. I've always loved staying in them, even at my old job when I traveled all the time. Like, hotels and, like, old hotels, because where I grew up in Florida, there's a hotel called the Grand Hotel, which back in the 30s and 40s was bumping and booming, and then, you know, got shut down because of stuff, but it's still standing. So old hotels, like the Biltmore Mansion, that's not a hotel. Which hotel am I thinking of? Stanley Hotel, the one here in Colorado, like two hours from me. Like, all of these old hotels are just some of my favorites. Like, I'm a, I'm a big, 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 big fan. It's probably yeah. why I like this movie so much. Oh, yeah. Well, I, you know, it's fun. I'm now painting this picture. Like, the more you talk about yourself as a kid and things that you were obsessed with, I'm painting this <laughs> picture of, like, what do you want to be when you grow up, little Odie? And little Odie just goes, I want to be a NASCAR driver who owns hotels. <laughs> like, just, <laughs> like, Hotel on wheels. <laughs> I want to have a hotel and a NASCAR. Yeah, that's pretty close, honestly. Yeah, pretty much. All right, cool. Um, well, good. But yeah, no, I'm glad so, I'm getting to know you so well through this podcast. <laughs> yeah, that, that was uh, my dream as a kid. A NASCAR racing hotel manager. Yeah. But to set the scene of the Grand Budapest Hotel, to give you a, a plot plot synopsis? Yeah, g- give, me a, give me a plot. Uh, give me a synopsis. Give me a, uh, In my own a, words. A, yeah. And then, okay. uh, and then tell me what you love about it. I want you to talk for a bit. This is, oh, this is good. Okay. Um, well... Grand Budapest Hotel, you, you pick up the story in the 60s, and you have Jude Law, who is fantastic in this movie, who just plays, yes. and I love that his character is just, it's like older reporter or older writer. Yes. Something like that. He doesn't have an actual name. And he's staying at the Grand Budapest Hotel, which is in this fictional country, and it's run down, and it's on the verge of being destroyed. It's the 60s, but he's staying there because it's a taste of culture, it's a taste of history, and he's a writer, right? Yes. And he just happens to, why he's there, bump into the owner and, you know, kind of like the legend around the hotel whose name is Zero. Yes. And so the two of them end up meeting and they sit down at dinner and then Zero recounts his story about how he came into possession of the Grand Budapest Hotel from the concierge at the time, M. Gustav, which I also love the gag in this that there's a bunch of people whose first name starts with M, like mm-hmm. all the concierge and everything. I just thought that was really funny. But... Basically, he meets this concierge, so we, we get transported back to the wonderful 1930s, yep. and Zero is a young lobby boy who's working under the guise of the concierge, and yes. the two of them find themselves in um, a little bit of a pickle. And I'm going to stop there, so if you Go don't on. want spoilers, that's your, that's your cutoff point right there. But it turns out, um, <laughs> Ray finds his character, loves to bang old ladies, and one of the ones he was banging... Uh, was murdered, and he was framed for the murder and sent to jail, and so they break out, and it's kind of a romp in a lot yes. of ways. It really is. Like, it, it honestly, it, it is just a romp, and Adrian Brody plays Dimitri, and uh, Willem Dafoe plays, like, the hitman, and uh, Jeff Goldblum plays the warrior, and it's just... Yep. Edward Norton plays the, like, commander of the troops, officer, commander, inspector guy... And it's just, it's just a romp of Ray finds his character. And the guy that plays Young Zero, people would probably best recognize him from playing uh, Flash Thompson in the MCU, the Spider-Man movies. Mm-hmm. But he's been in, and he's in Asteroid City. I was going to pull up his name. He's, a, uh, he's been in, like, Tony, Tony Revolori, if I'm saying his last name right. I believe um, you are. He has been in a lot of Wes Anderson films because he's in uh, French Dispatch, he's in Grand Budapest, and he's in Asteroid City. But the two of them, his character and Ray Fiennes, just 
going on this adventure and going on the, this this romp to like clear his name. And also, there's a portrait of a boy eating an apple, and there's a, just like the plot line of the murder, and it's just mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just a really good. It's not really a murder mystery, but it's definitely like it's got that Wes Anderson humor, that yep. very like almost realistic reaction to things like one of the very first scenes with Ray Fiennes is when he's talking to this old lady and he's in the middle of this like really passionate speech and just goes oh my god your nails are hideous like just <laughs> like just out yeah. of nowhere just like I hate that color it's repulsive um so it's got that you know that Wes Anderson charm that you love but it's also just like a really good story and I really like the narrative I like how they jump in and out of the narration I like the way that they narrate it where it's a lot of like the actor says something and then the narrator kind of is like, and then I replied with, and then it's the actor actually saying the word yes. and the amount of times that they jump between like the past and the present, I feel like is a good blend and the way that the whole story kind of wraps up and like the thread lines and yeah. the big reveal at the end, when you find out how zero got the hotel is kind of sad, but also a hundred percent kind of expected at the same time. Yeah. And like meaningful to the story itself. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Cool. I mean, I kind of said my piece on this. I I would say, you know, the the big thing um that makes a Wes Anderson film a Wes Anderson film is the the direct attention to detail that Wes Anderson takes for uh both symmetrical and planometric uh views in the cinematography, right? Um, Mm. So Wes Anderson has a cinematographer, obviously, on these films. But as a director, I think Wes Anderson has a lot of say in the specific way that the films are being made. And and you can see that in all of his films, like the the views that he takes of specific characters, the shots and the way that they pan. Um, And, and, you know, symmetrical being that, like, when you see when you first see the Grand Budapest Hotel, there's this... um, there's this symmetrical view yeah. of it, right? That yeah. actually mimics, once again, we're going back to uh, the Hitchcock. I think it's called the pulled curtain or something. Um, it's like the whatever curtain. I can't remember it right now. Well, but it's a Hitchcock it the film. Iron curtain. It's the <laughs> pulled curtain. Film. It's something. It, the whole intro is just an homage to it. Um, yeah. But the, sim- the symmetrical view, what that does, and I think a lot of people don't realize this about Wes Anderson films, and what probably um, makes it some people uneasy is that Wes Anderson's kind of nodding to you, the viewer, by going, hey, I made that very symmetrical, yeah. right? It drew your attention. You're paying attention to this. Um, and he, and some people, I think, their reaction to that because it's a little – I don't want to call it uncanny valley, but it's akin to that. Some mm. people who they say they don't like Wes Anderson films say they're too quirky. And I would say a lot of that comes I, down yeah. to the dialogue, the way the characters sometimes address the audience, and uh, the the way that he stages and then shoots different scenes. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the one thing that I well, wanted to add to that is this is actually – a uh and and some someday odie you and i can have our (laughs) french new wave episode which is one of my favorite styles of cinema that has ever existed uh because wes anderson was was heavily influenced by the french new wave um and truffaut and a lot of yeah a lot of the films that came out around that time and it shows up in 
his personal style. And that's what makes it so great when, you know, like I haven't seen Asteroid City yet, but I bet you when I watch it, I'm going to be like, oh, this is like, and I'll probably reference an old Hitchcock movie or an old movie with Paul Newman in it, you know, like, or just something from yesteryear that Wes Anderson is bringing back to life and kind of communicating with us, the viewer uh, of like, hey, I love this and I wanted to build this in here so that you could appreciate it as well. Yeah. And to your note about his directing style with like the cinematography as Mm -hmm. somebody who is directing their first short film next year, there's actually a really unique relationship between director and DP or cinematographer in that. And this is really, this is really, really, really obvious in mainstream movies compared to director films. And what I mean by that is you take a movie like, I don't know, like a copy and paste, like Marvel movie or um, like one of those Netflix generic action movies or like Netflix generic rom-coms or whatever, any one of those films, right? And those are what I would call like mainstream movies. And they just get directors that, you know, maybe have something under their belt, somebody that can just direct the movie. And usually those directors are hired with like a preset cast and they're like, just follow the script, do it how it is, right? Those are like hired to just produce a product kind of thing. Then you have director products like Wes Anderson, Quentin Tarantino, Christopher Nolan and so forth. And my example that I'm going to use for this is going to be uh, Dennis Villeneuve because Mm -hmm. some directors will use the same cinematographer for almost all their projects. Wes Anderson does. He uses uh, Yeoman, Robert Yeoman. He's done uh, other movies such as like Spy. Uh, He did this 2016 Ghostbusters reboot. He's done all of Wes Anderson movies. Uh, Dennis Villeneuve has used uh, Greg Frazier a lot. And so has Matt Reeves. He's also Mm -hmm. used my personal favorite and hero, idol, Greg Fraser, one of the best cinematographers around, could tell you everything you want to know about that man. But, okay, where I'm going with this is, as a director, the directors that understand, like, their scenes and understand the cinematography and the look and the angles and can and can go to like someone like Dennis can go to Greg and be like hey like for this shot like I want to use like a 35 anamorphic or I want to use like an 8 mil wide and yeah. like that relationship with the cinematographer like if you're a director and I, this is from the director panel that I got all this from if you're a director and you understand those things your relationship with the cinematographer becomes so much more um, personal because yep. you really start to see that director style because that cinematographer and him like they really understand each other and if you're a director who understands how cameras operate and like what lenses can capture what and so forth like your yeah. relationship with the cinematographer is that much more beautiful in the end and i just Agreed. think that's crazy i just love that and that's why like it's hard sometimes when i turn on like generic action movies like uh have you heard about that movie ghosted on apple tv no don't watch it it's chris evans have you, you haven't heard about that one? Because it's no. really bad. Um, I love Apple TV, yeah. too. So I'll probably <laughs> inevitably miss. come across it. It's a miss. But yeah, so anyways. Uh, it's that, been all hits for me this like, year. Don't watch it. It's That's the movie okay. about where Chris Evans meets this girl and then she ghosts him. So he has the idea to fly across the country to surprise her, even though she's like not responding to his text messages. And it turns out she's like a CIA agent and he gets dragged along. It's really fucking weird and bad. It's really so it, weird and bad. It's like... Gone Girl meets the girl with the dragon tattoo meets the girl on the train? Meets the hangover. I guess so. <laughs> but yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Wes Anderson, in my opinion, I can understand why people don't like him. I can understand why his movies might not be for people. Yeah. But for me, his movies are really refreshing. And I think that's yeah. why movies 
like Wes Anderson's and like Christopher Nolan's and like the Dunes and Matt Reeves and stuff, like it's nice to see a movie that really has some TLC behind it, you know? And you can really, really see yeah. that. And this was the this is the fact I was going to start the podcast with. I just remembered it, so I'm going to use it now to in the Wes Anderson segment. Um, okay. One of the things that I think is most telling about who Wes Anderson is as a person and his style as a director is that Scarlett Johansson is one of the leads in Asteroid City, and so yep. is Edward Norton. Now, yep. for comparison of the numbers I'm about to tell you, Scarlett Johansson was paid after like all said and is on, like close to $30 million for one single Marvel movie. He was also paid upwards of $15 million for another blockbuster that wasn't Marvel, right? So that's her price yeah. tag, right? Yeah. Edward Norton, same thing, same kind of numbers. Yeah. Edward Norton and Scarlett Johansson ba- both made, and this is a big number, but when you think about it to those other numbers, they both made $4,000 a week for about six weeks to work on this film. They took Edward Norton interview in an interview was like, yeah, I lost money. I lost money, but I don't care because I wanted I love Wes and I want to be in his movies. And that was the same thing with Scarlett Johansson, Timothy Chalamet. Yeah, uh, I think Adrian Brody even said it. A bunch of people have come out and been like, I don't care. Like, we'll do it for free. Like, we don't care. We just want to be in his movies. And that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, no, that's a that's a big comment to him as a director. Uh, to transition into what will what we will now call the delirious fever dream oh portion of the podcast. <laughs> Let me bring up my notes. Um, Wes Anderson. Uh, one of the things that Wes Anderson does best is establish a narrative voice and cadence, right? And and establish a rhythm yeah. to his films, right? So Wes Anderson, not only do his films have a natural rhythm and sometimes so much of a natural rhythm to them that is like specific to them, that it feels unnatural to us as viewers. Uh, and it like for people who love cinema, like you keep saying, and like I keep emphasizing, it draws our <laughs> attention. That unnatural, yeah. what seems unnatural because it's natural to the film and the story. Uh, it, it like all of a sudden our attention is peaked. Uh, mm-hmm. the opposite happens with the Richard Kelly Southland tales in that I would say that probably Ooh. one of the most notice notable things about this movie is that there is one, a narrator two, it's Justin Timberlake three. You forget that he's in the movie multiple times. Okay. Before <laughs> I can't talked- tell you how many times I, I texted you. Like, I think at least five times I was like, Justin Timberlake's back. <laughs> While we were watching this movie. Now, (laughs) you said Asteroid City is a very brisk hour and a half. And then you mentioned, yes, Southland Tales is a two and a half hour, (laughs) like, like mental willpower of a marathon movie. Like, it's just just shorter than a than a theatrical Lord of the Rings release. And it really is absolutely it it is it is a piece of work to get through yeah okay before before what do you want to say before i get into this i have a whole bit prepared for this okay before we even explain what this movie's about before we say anything about it can i just read off the notes that i took during the movie yes out of context out of context i just want everybody to hear there's there's a few of these so just bear with me I want everyone to hear, this is what I wrote down as I was watching the movie. These were my thoughts. 
out of context. And I promise you, even being out of context, they probably still make just as much sense as they did when I wrote them down. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. So the first thing that I wrote down was this was made in 2004, released in 2005, and set in the far future of 2008. Yes. Yeah. This also really dated the killer song, All the Things We've Done. Like, really yes. dated it. Okay. Yes. Um, my, uh, one of the first lines that, in the movie, all the pilgrims did was ruin the American orgy and kill the Indians. Just, like, orgy yeah. first? They, That's they cool. ruined the, Ama the American Indian orgy of freedom. Yes. Is, oh, yeah, okay. That's the direct quote. Um, my fa All right, oh, hold <laughs> one on. One of my favorite uh, scenes. Odie, I told you, mm. I love this movie. This is my The Room. Okay, that's fine. Like, people you watch The too. Room and hate, like, they love, it. hate, watch it. Like, they love it as much as they, like, hate, watch This okay. is my The Room. This is, I yeah. love this movie. Get ready for a lot of, um, this isn't even nitpicks. Okay, here's my literal next note. They're looking at his security footage. They go, is that Boxer? They zoom in. It was a blob. You couldn't tell who that person was before they zoomed in. And then they just continued to zoom in until it was a giant black blur. But here's the problem, Kevin. My next note is, in a world where they're creating a turbine in the ocean to power devices from miles away, they don't have yes. security cameras that can see somebody? Yeah. Love it. Um, and then no. my next note was, why does that girl look and sound like Amy Poehler? Oh, my God, Amy Poehler's in this movie. Oh, my yeah. God, Amy Poehler's in this movie. Yeah, and Why Sherry is Amy Poehler in this movie? From SNL. And John Lovitz from uh, SNL. <laughs> yeah, great. This yeah. movie's is cast is ridiculous. Is I'll get into also, it, but yeah. Yeah, my other favorite line Scientists are saying the future is going to be more futuristic than they originally thought. Far more fantastic futuristic writing. than they originally thought. <laughs> still, still fantastic writing. Absolutely phenomenal. Uh, what is going on with The Rock's sunglasses and why does his head look so big? Oh, yeah, The Rock's in this movie, by the way. And, uh, oh, yeah, he's also yeah. the star. But just let yeah. that sink in as we continue to go over all this. Um, a very using small fingerprints from Dwayne seven, the Rock Johnson. This is the smallest he's ever been. This is, I also have a note about him at the end. Um, okay, good. Keep going. Using fingerprints from severed thumbs to make, fake, to, to make fake votes is exactly something that I would think the Republican Party would accuse somebody else of doing. Yes. Just, yeah, 100%. Um, on. One of my favorite bits was... The girl explaining how that if you take the morning after pill and then get on a plane and change time zones, it is now technically the morning before pill, which still makes no sense, but I appreciate the effort. Yes. Uh, I, I, <laughs> okay, this, scene, this is my favorite bit in the whole movie. Go on. Sean William Scott to The Rock. Would you excuse me a second? I counted. The Rock takes a full... Full eight seconds. The Sean William Scott is out of the scene. He's no longer yes. in the frame, and the Rock goes, "Yes." <laughs> Just a full eight seconds later, the Sean William Scott's already gone. Would you excuse me? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Gold. You want to do that take again, yeah. Rock? You want to say your line a little bit sooner? No. One take. Okay. Cool. All right. Um, that's it. <laughs> 
so you mentioned that Justin Timberlake is in this. It took me about yeah. 50 minutes, and it wasn't until I paused the movie and I was watching it on Amazon, so it tells you who the cast is, that I realized that Justin Timberlake was in the movie. I didn't realize who he was until almost the end of the movie. Yep. I didn't realize he was a physical character. You kept saying Justin's yeah. back, and I didn't understand what you meant, because I was like, there's no narration. <laughs> it took me forever to understand that, because that guy looked nothing like Justin Timberlake. That's Justin Timberlake, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, the God. cars, the car yep. scene, just two cars banging. Just, yep. what was that? Just, just out of nowhere. Fucking. And it comes up twice. Just twice. Yep. Um, Wallace, <laughs> Wallace Shawn's eyeshadow is perfect. I wrote that down at some point. Uh, yep. Yeah, because Wallace Shawn's in this and he wears eyeshadow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that blimp is going to be the electric Hindenburg. A few notes later, that blimp was the electric Hindenburg. <laughs> yep. Um, okay, this is the best part. Uh, so most of these notes were about not even, like, about the halfway mark of the movie. Because then, after I said, oh, electric Hindenburg, yeah. I paused the movie because I was like, I need to get something to eat. At an hour and 23 yep. minutes, I was like, yeah, this movie's got to be wrapping up. There was still an hour and seven minutes left. Yes. All of those notes are from the first hour and 23 minutes. Anyways. Yes. Uh, for no reason at all, I really want a barbecue bacon Swiss burger. I don't know why I wrote that down. That might have been the high thoughts coming through. Uh, Would you write? The largest block party in lo <laughs> I wrote down, for no reason at all, I want a barbecue bacon Swiss burger right now. Oh, okay. I was hungry. Yeah. Um, That's a great note. The plan of having the largest block, the plan of having the largest block party in Los Angeles sounds awful, and I don't think anybody would actually attend it, especially not in 2008. Yep. Sounds awful. Uh, I've never even thought about suicide. I'm a pimp, and pimps don't commit suicide. Probably one of the best yep. lines I've ever heard in my life. Um, Thank you. Uh, yeah, that's all I got. Good. All right. Is this cool. some kind of orgy or something? That's what I wrote at the end. I don't know what that's in reference to, though. Uh, that's because that's what the uh, secretary says to the presidential candidate when they're doing their weird dance on the blimp toward the end of oh, the movie. Oh, yeah. That's that's right. Like, all of a sudden, it, uh, it looks like oh. it's going to be like a threesome between The Rock, Mandy Moore, and yes, um, it did. Sarah Michelle Gellar. <laughs> Kristen Now or whatever, Crystal Now. Kristen Now, yeah. Kristen yeah. Now, yeah, no, absolutely also, amazing. You know how you said you okay, liked so Bay Ling. Bai Ling, yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you know that the actress was arrested the like next year for shoplifting? What was she arrested for? She was she was arrested for shoplifting. Oh wow! Um, yeah. Hey Odie, this has never happened mm -hmm. on the podcast, but I'm gonna ask mm -hmm. that we pause real quick because I'm getting a poor connection okay. signal on Skype, and we restart and then start recording. I don't know what happened. I'm just getting poor connection right now. Okay, it's just super lame. I am as well. Yeah, same. Are you? Yeah. Did you pause your recording or? Uh, I'm going to right now. Okay. I'm recording. I am also recording. All right. Ready? Three, two, one.
Double clap this one. Perfect. Awesome. We're back with better connection than ever. Um, okay. <laughs> Maybe. So let yes. me lay the groundwork for why I love Southland Tales oh. and why it's an ama- actually like an amazing film. It's not. Even no, though ahead. it's horrible. Like it's, it's two thumbs down. It's absolutely two hurt. thumbs down. It's two thumbs down in the best way possible, though. Like I love, mm. love, love this movie. Uh, so <laughs> okay. Richard Kelly, Richard Kelly, son of a NASA mm-hmm. scientist, uh, directs Donnie Darko in 2001. Donnie Darko bombs in theaters, absolutely bombs, right? And then has a resurgence in like cult screenings and DVD sales that elevates it to the top. It ends up winning a bunch of awards, right? Donnie mm-hmm. Darko. It's like a cult fan favorite. It's like the emo kid introductory film. Like, that's what Donnie Darko is. It's like angsty teen, 80s soundtrack. So they had premiered Donnie Darko at Cannes. And they were on their way back to the U.S. Um, and, like, it, it had not done well in its premiere at Cannes. Like, people are just like, I don't get it. It's weird. It doesn't make sense. Like, all, all the same things that we're saying about Southland Tales now. We're, yeah. People are saying about Donnie Darko in 2001. Then, and, and so at that point, the people who had backed the film were talking about, like, breaking it down into smaller components and get ri- getting rid of, like, the 80s soundtrack and, like, really just turning it into, like, a shorter but simpler view and it would it just like ultimately in the end was not like it wasn't looking good for Donnie Darko as they're coming back. And Richard Kelly is just like he's he's demoralized and kind of pissed. And like he starts writing these two films, uh, one of which becomes Southland Tales and the other of which does not get made. Uh, uh, and I wonder why. The, the second one was called Bessie. And it's about a mutant cow and the mm. drama around unveiling this mutant uh talking walking cow to the world so uh, very quirky yeah like like the people who are associated with unveiling this mutant cow to the world named bessie and like so it would have had they would have had to build in this like walking talking cow Yeah, yeah yeah so um he's writing these two films and the second one is about a small group of actors and comedians like because that's who he's hanging out with at the time are like actors and comedians and like uh, writers essentially uh, f- staging a racially motivated killing. Oh, <laughs> uh, yep. Mm-hmm. <That> yeah. <laughs> Which ends up becoming like a very small, like it's, it's like a, it's a big piece of the plot, but like a, a smaller story within Southland tales. Very small. I forgot and, it even happened. And <laughs> here's, here's what I'm assuming. Richard Kelly amazing writer but in in his own regard yes i would say so i actually really i still enjoy watching donnie darko i still enjoy watching southland tales even though some of the he he basically has a fever dream is how i assume it and he's having like a fuck you moment with hollywood and he decides that he's gonna write this huge like swing for the fences gigantic thing because he gets opted for a second film so falling in line with so many directors before him who in their sophomore effort absolutely bomb. There are so many writer directors who their sophomore movie, like it just gets written off of the face of the planet. Right. This, this happens all the time. So one, this is very normal. 
right? This is that a, a director's sophomore attempt where they go absolutely bonkers off the wall trying to write their thing, right? To do their thing and bring their thing to the world. Um, like the, it bombs like this. Not only does this happen normally, but Richard Kelly really goes over the fucking top with this film, mm. like goes above and beyond to deliver a gigantic blooming onion of symbolism and metaphor that is both like at the same time too much nail on the head while also being like too cryptic like for the people who get some of the metaphors that he's making it's like all right well yeah uh, i you're directly referencing it in your dialogue and for the people who don't get it they're just like what the fuck is happening here <laughs> and so let me let me break this down like moment by moment for you can i do that is that cool are you gonna break down the whole film moment by no. moment because i already lived through that no i'm not I don't I'm, but what, I'm, what i'm gonna do is i'm going so uh it's the first joke of the film is in the far future of 2008 right yeah and it's the first joke big joke now. in the film because it's an internal joke because the film comes out on dvd in 2006 it premieres in 2005 and once again just like donnie darko it bombs and people are like i don't get it it's confusing and richard kelly's probably like oh yeah i've seen this before this is par for the course right um but it bombs and richard kelly ends up putting so the narration that's in this film originally yeah. wasn't even in it oh my god like, could you imagine the film so without the narrative pieces no wonder it's two and of half Justin hours. Timberlake? Oh, my God. So he adds the narration in, and, <laughs> like, the the whole idea of, behind the film was that it would be a giant piece of pop art. And it is. It to its And the way that I described yeah, it to you is, like, is. so many people say you can't spray paint a turd gold. I would say that this was a turd that was crafted from gold and then spray painted hot pink, like graffitied hot pink. And what they graffitied <laughs> on it was I'm a pimp and pimps don't commit suicide. Um, exactly. Which is probably the, the line. He really forces that line at the end of the film when it doesn't appear anywhere else in the film. Like the last yeah. 30 minutes of the film, they say it three times. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah. Here's, all here's, here's the full summary of the plot. And, and I'll give you this right off the rip. First off, it is Richard Kelly's retelling of the Book of Revelations. Does that track? Make sense? I mean, yeah, that tracks a little bit now. I mean, one of the first lines he says is, this is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. It's not from the Book of Revelation. Not with a whisper, but with a bang. No, 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 but what he's doing is he's referencing the Book of Revelations, right? So he's, he's saying, this is the way the world ends. And then the first thing that you see is uh the rock with a crosshair on him that looks very similar to Jesus Christ right like it's the cross <laughs> it's the cro but it's the crosshairs of Justin Timberlake who actually represents the pale rider of the apocalypse sure okay you're silent you're you're dumbfounded <laughs> okay. i just uh, like i just there's so much in this movie then, that like 
you can try There's to so squeeze much. whatever metaphor and symbolism yeah, you want yeah, yeah. out of it, but at the end of the day, it's like somebody put 18 different plot points in a blender and then they just did. poured it out and was like, well, do this in this order. That's why I'm calling it like the pop art fever dream of writer-director Richard <laughs> Kelly, right? That's, that's sure. what it is. And he gets this crazy ensemble cast. He does this thing that like no director has ever done. He's just grabbing people from fucking everywhere. Like it doesn't matter who you are. You probably know one or two people in this movie, right? Even if the oh, one or two people are Justin Timberlake you know the and The Rock, rock right? Yeah, so you know but The like, Rock. But ultimately, the ensemble cast is something that you don't see elsewhere. It's like fucking insane. Like it's yeah, not really. Sarah Michelle Gellar, The Rock, uh, Justin Timberlake, Sherry O'Terry, Amy Poehler, like it just John Lovitz. It just keeps fucking going. So it's like, kind of insane. It is insane. Sean William Scott, like every single, it just keeps going. So like, what's happened is. Krista now, who is a metaphor for the idea of eternalism in oh. philosophy, right? Krista now, right? So sure. the, the idea of eternalism is there's no present, there's no past, there's no future. There, like there's, there's just now. That's all there is. It's just an eternal now, which is Alan Watts' philosophy. Um, that's why her name's Krista now. She and Will Sasso, <laughs> going back into the <laughs> ensemble cast, have abducted The Rock after he was unconscious in the Lake Mead area of, you know, the desert. Yeah, just um, unconscious, just in the desert. Well, they found him unconscious because he had traveled through a rift in time. He traveled back in time 69 minutes. He and Sean William Scott have both done this, right? Oh, yeah. uh, Sean William Scott has two versions of him that exist at the same time. The other version of The Rock, we find out later in the movie, has died. Now, The Rock isn't actually a metaphor for Jesus Christ, although some people might see, like that and go that's the nail on the head he's actually the person who predicts the second coming of christ and krista now and will sasso have convinced the rock that he has written a screenplay and that screenplay as it turns out is predicting the events of the movie so krista now in the idea of eternalism is predicting via her screenplay and the things that she's saying across the movie the eternal now that is infinitely recurring across the movie and then you could play it back and yeah question what was the point of the screenplay? I never really understood how that folded into the story. So, because again, and I think I said another, this to you, like but this is it another. Makes, Go it ahead. makes no sense that The Rock, whether you're unconscious or not, just comes back from the desert with no memory, and someone's just like, "Hey, you wrote this screenplay," and he's like, "And he's like, I yeah, wrote I this did. screenplay." Like, out well, of all the things to believe, he doesn't believe what anybody else tells him, but some no. stranger is just like, "We're dating," yes. and you wrote this, and he's like. That yes. tracks. And somebody else is like, you're married, and this is also true. And he's like, I don't believe you. Yeah, that well, makes no fucking sense. Then he eventually starts remembering. But, yeah, uh, well, he has amnesia, right? But they tell him that he wrote this screenplay, and it's going to be amazing. And she also, like, I'll get into this in a second. But so, like, it's predicting, the like, the elements of the film. And one of the things that it predicts and is happening in the film and makes the film make a lot more sense, but they never actually properly cover it and it's why this film is a disaster is the rock at one point says the earth is decelerating at a rate of point zero point zero 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 six yeah <laughs> like, i remember the seven zeros because i went back and counted so, so but like and it sounds absurd but that's actually what's happening in the movie 
and it's making people more stupid and it's making them commit more crime and make more rash decisions and it's just fucking it's over the top i and i love everything about it so then the rock is supposed to go on this ride along to study the film enter sean william scott who's been uh essentially kidnapped and has amnesia by another group right that was and my these other people point? are neo-marxists my other yeah. thing that i wanted to say real quick about yes. the amnesia was yep. we're introduced to sean william scott's character with yes. the rock yes. and they're just like and this this is this is one of my this was one of my favorite things because yes. especially being high go ahead like this is his twin brother he's a cop he's gonna ride with you and sean william scott twin brother is like who am i where am i what's going on who am i i yeah. don't remember anything yeah, and there's no like idea. you're a cop and you're racist and he's like who am i who am i and the rock is just riding with him and he's just like i don't know who i am or where i am and it's like clearly clearly it's not his twin brother who's a cop clearly something is wrong here this guy doesn't know who he is yes 100 percent uh yeah keep going yeah uh so i don't want to keep going to keep (laughs) you keep keep going going. you keep going going, uh (laughs) the the ride along is supposed to be a staged racially motivated killing of a cop like killing two famous neo-marxist celebrities so like subculture celebrities right and what ends up happening is a properly racist cop i.e john lovitz shows up and does actually kill them turning the whole thing into a real situation and separating sean william scott and the rock now the rock is the person who predicts the the second coming of christ sean william scott actually is an analogy for the second coming of christ and at the end of the movie forgives the sins of the past but while shaking his own hand right so we we've come to this point where the symbolism is starting to stack up and this is where like the film itself is just a hot mess that i absolutely love can i explain love. what happens can i just like briefly go ahead without yeah go ahead so give me, give this, me is what, this is what happens this is this is this is how i would describe the end of the movie um sean william scott shakes hands with himself in the back of a flipped flipped over ice cream truck that then starts to levitate in the air to which a man is standing on top of with a bazooka to shoot the electric Zeppelin that kills everybody on side before the person that shot the rocket on the floating ice cream truck swan dives off for no apparent reason. Yes. And that's how the movie ends. Oh, and then Sean William Scott repeats over to himself over and over and over again. I forgive forgive you. you. It was friendly fire. I forgive you. It was friendly fire. Yeah. And then Justin Timberlake goes, my best friend. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then he goes, and that was him. My best my friend. My best friend. Justin Timberlake, who the fuck? Where? Who? I didn't even know that was you. Like, what are you talking about? Oh, my God. Okay. Also, so, what was the point of the scene with the kid whose dad, I thought it was going to play a bigger part when he was like, oh, your dad's my plastic surgeon? All right. Yeah. That's it. Just oh, dude, drop there's that so line, many like, just like dropped lines. Away. Yeah, that just like there's so many things that just get dropped in this movie and then never touched <laughs> yeah. on again. I was like, that's gonna go somewhere, isn't it? You here's know? here's I mean, what I love the, the most the about Zeppelin. this movie is two times this movie essentially just turns into a music video. <laughs> oh my god. That was I was wondering when we were gonna get to this. <laughs> I love so let me just cover some of the symbolism a little bit more. Krista now, who represents eternalism, is constantly prophesizing what's happening in the movie via her screenplay and her lines that she delivers. All of these lines and all of the lines surrounding them are like just riddled with sexual innuendo jokes that only a 13-year-old would find funny. 
Like you mm-hmm. went you went backward in time, sixty nine minutes. The thing that we're voting on next 69. week is Proposition sixty nine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, none of it was funny. <laughs> No, none not at all. The morning before pill. None of this is like really that funny. None but funny. on top of that, you have Mandy Moore, who represents during the Book of Revelations, the pregnant woman who's surrounded by a beast and a monstrous dragon, i.e. Uh, her dad and his secretary and the idea of U.S. ident being able to see everything. Right. So the monstrous mm. dragon and the beast are there. The pregnant woman. We have everything at the end times. And the rock, knowing this prediction, is the one person paying the most attention to what's actually happening. Right. The second coming of Christ. Sean William Scott forgiving himself while shaking his hand in the back of an ice cream truck while this kid stands on top of it and just uses the bazooka that he randomly found. That was like, it's like a Chekhov's gun moment, but it's the dumbest Chekhov's gun. He's like, that was one of like, my lines that I wrote down. Sher- yeah, Sherry O'Terry is like, is that a bazooka? And the guy's like, well, shut no, up. It, like, no, but and then on, he the finds it and right shoots the blimp. The line that she says, she goes, she says, oh my, God. wait, she says something. Hang on, I wrote it down. I forgot to say it. I love. But, I love. Uh, someone yeah, oh, says wait, her, aim for the bl- or aim for the target. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> aim for the goes, mark or whatever it is. You, you know, there would be a lot less violence in the world if everybody got their cardio in. Hey, is that a bazooka? Literally, just like that. No yep. split. Just, just everyone. If everyone got their cardio in, is that a bazooka? Just Dude, there's no. So, once, I, once again, it's a giant, giant of piece of truck. art pop lit on fire flaming with like pink graffiti on it like that's what this movie is and that's what i love it's just insanity it's a fever dream that's yeah. the only way i can describe it is the script is a fever dream that somehow got funded by hollywood and executed and that's what i really love about it is it's and then yeah. okay so we've we've covered a lot of the symbolism and i could go like deeper into it because really like <laughs> richard kelly did too good a job just layering like uh, symbol on top of symbol on top of sy- which is something i normally appre- yeah he did he did too much he did way too, too much, much. Way i love too it much. and like, then at one point good, it turns who? into like like the the movie just turns into like a like a game of accusations like when they're on when they're first like surrounded by each other at like the 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 election compound and they're like mm-hmm. they're like well you're secretly funding the neo-marxist campaign he's like i would never well you're pregnant with brad's baby and yeah like, oh. everyone's like, and you're like who the that. fuck is brad like yeah and i was like it turns out brad was there brad the whole guy? time yeah no he's one's been there called the whole time, him by but... his name the entire yeah. film and then someone just goes brad's <sighs> baby and fucking brad's too there. much anyway so the thing that I love about this film is that Richard Kelly and why I really want to call this a fever dream is he actually he actually accurately predicted a lot of stupid shit that's happened in the two almost two decades since the film was written. Right. That's insane. There, there is a terrorist attack. Right. And this is written post 9-11. But there there is a terrorist attack and the government. Well, the, not only the government, but the populace in response to it. Uh, and you see the elephants fucking in the beginning. It becomes increasingly uh, conservative, Republican, dominated. Everything is coming down to one state in an election in the far future of 2008. It's all coming down to one state. There is a neo-Marxist, anti-fascist campaign to stop that from happening. While the Republicans are attempting to control the election through... A web of supreme surveillance. Now, this movie came out before the boom of Facebook and, like, our phones listening to us and shit like that. Richard Kelly predicted, one, supreme surveillance. Like, the NSA. 
the it, yeah. essentially predicted the NSA, the existence yeah. of the NSA, right? Predicted the election turmoil and the conflict between the bipartisan sides. Predicted that a uh, sex worker turned influencer would have enough public opinion to have a talk show, a fucking sex tape, an album, a perfume line. Krista oh, now is Kim Kardashian, dude. Uh, I thought like, you were going to go with the, the porn star that Trump was involved with. Well, that too, but Stormy. look at it this way. It, Krista now is Kim Kardashian. She is, she is someone whose sex appeal garnered her influence enough to then have so much public sway that she has all of these things. She's launching her own brand of everything. Don't you hate it? I hate I how hate correct that. this film is. Like, if you watch this film, well, there's some shit where you're like, oh, that hits home. That's, the, the, that's wild. <laughs> the people who are trying to create, uh, like, the people who are trying to create um, a, a permanent source of energy – turns out they're actually like very liberal neo-marxist the people who don't want that to properly exist or want control of it are super republican like it <laughs> the movie itself has so many things that in the year since when i go back and i watch this i'm like wow richard kelly fucking saw it coming i guess i don't know and you go back and you watch it which is, i fucking love this movie i can't something <laughs> i can't explain enough like what other movie ends with a floating ice cream truck with like a kid on it who can't stop saying the word dog shooting a blimp out it. of the air with a fucking rocket launcher? <laughs> and then it ends with my best, my friend. best friend, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I will say that the moment I knew this movie was going to be so much more than what I had already braced myself for <laughs> was the moment. And I'm just going to bring this up because we have to Yeah. where Justin Timberlake is talking to the dog kid. And that's where the line of, Oh, you're my dad's plastic surgeon and everything. Blah, 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 blah. blah. That's all dropped. Yep. And then Justin Timberlake is just like, you got to do the drugs. You got to do the red drugs. And then all of a sudden he's just like, you I got soul, but I'm not a soldier. And it's just oh my a God. straight up minute and a half, two minute, uh, the killer's, all these things that I've done, Justin Timberlake music video with some candy stripe nurse looking girls in an arcade. And then, yeah, that's just, yep. it's just that. It's just the song and him mouthing yep. along the song, pretending to hum girls and then dancing. And then it's just like two minutes of that. It's just, it is literally yep. a quarter of the actual music video. Yes. It's, 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 um, it, ah, uh, geez, Louise. I love fuck. it. It, um, I love it. I absolutely. I, uh, Dude, I thought that, that something was wrong. The fact that you was got Justin Timberlake and then had him do karaoke of the Killers. Well, that's that's him. It's him lip syncing because <laughs> it's, it's the actual the Killers singing. The fact that you had him lip sync, yeah, exactly. The Killers. In a that really movie. dated the Killers too. It really oh dated the Killers. Oh my god. Oh, dude. Okay, straight up. This movie is at once like one of like it's it's my example of like <laughs> the worst idea of a film, right? But at the same yeah. time, I love and I'm thank you for watching it with me because I haven't watched my it pleasure. in a while. And I my don't pleasure. get an excuse to watch it a lot. And I don't pick to watch it often. But when I do, I really enjoy rewatching it and being like, This is so bad, but also kind of good. Like there's some it's shit fun. in it. There and there are definitely I think within this movie is like the the skeleton 
of three different good movies, right? But because they're all together, they just become this garbled mess. Like of nothing. You're finally over. You're over like an hour and a half into the film, and someone goes, "There was a rift in the fourth dimension." And you're like, "What yeah, that the really fuck, threw dude? Me off. Like, are you kidding me? That's what this is about." But then, like, another twenty minutes later, he's like, "Our purpose is to take down capitalism," and you're like, "What yeah, the is it fuck?" A, is dude? it a political like, movie? Is it a time travel movie? <laughs> Is it it's a everything. racist cop allegory? It's a, it's like, what is it's it? It's everything. It's also, everything. Also, okay. There's Racially thing... motivated killings, uh, spurring riots. Like, it's fu- It's the movie, I swear to God, Richard Kelly had, like, he must have, like, traveled through time in his dreams. I That's that's all I can imagine is Richard Kelly was like, this is what the future is going to be like. It's going to be nonsense, and no one's going to be able to make sense of it, and it's going to be really loud and over the top and in your face, and celebrities are going to be in your face a hundred percent of the time he's kind of right but you know what i think is funny about this movie too <laughs> i love that you're, it's he's kind of right, he's kinda I, mean, right. He's, I mean he's not wrong but no, you know he's what? Not. also you have found and you have introduced to me to now introduce to the world the only movie that i can find on the rocks filmography where he's not playing an action hero a badass a savior he doesn't fight Thank anybody you. he doesn't punch anybody he doesn't shoot anybody because I was thinking about it, right? And I was looking at his filmography, and before this, we talked about it. Before this movie, he Scorpion did The King. Rundown, Scorpion King, yep. and um, Walking Tall. Yes. Then he did this movie, and then right after this movie, he did Gridiron Gang. Yes. And then he pro- he progressed into doing like Tooth Fairy, Escape from Witch Mountain, and Hercules, and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, but yeah, in yeah. every single movie, even Gridiron Gang, and even Tooth Fairy, he at least punches somebody. Yep. He doesn't do... Anything yep. except for some really weird shit with his hands. Yep. Some really weird stuff with his mouth. Like yep. I think he's pretending to have Tourette's, maybe. Yep. And then um just some really bad line delivery. Like he just is there. That, he's just kind of there. That brings me to another really important point of this movie. It subverts all your expectations for every single actor that's in it. The rock doesn't have a fight scene. Right, the Rock isn't yeah, beating Poehler's people funny up. As fuck in this movie. Amy Amy Poehler's funny as fuck, but she's playing of a, a character who takes herself seriously, and that's what's funny about it. Sean <laughs> William Scott isn't just cracking jokes; he's playing a serious character. Sarah Michelle yeah. Gellar isn't a strong female lead; she is playing an influencer or a porn star turned influencer. You know, like every single person it, Justin Timberlake doesn't sing a song, he lip syncs. Every th- single thing <laughs> you might accept, expect out of people in this movie is subverted. And I fucking love it. Like I I can't describe to you enough how much I love the idea that like Richard Kelly would be like, "Here's Justin Timberlake, but he's not going to sing." Here's Sarah Michelle Gellar, but she's not going to kick ass like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Here's The Rock, but he's not going to fight a single person. He's going to run around scared and put his hands together like a weirdo. Like, that's a, <laughs> that's like a weird, a weird toy. You know, what, you, know what else was really, you, know, you know what else was really weird in this movie what? to me? The perfectly placed, perfectly timed, uh, mounted swivel chair, 50 cal, single shot sniper rifles yes. that were just... Placed randomly and in a weird market when people were starting to shoot each other. Thank yep. goodness there was some weird swivel chair 50 cal to kill the people. Oh my because God. they were just there, just perfectly so placed, like just all over the place. Just well, 
so you you see the surveillance state that's been created earlier in the film and they do mention it but once again one of the weakest points of this film was that like before the the narration was added it already didn't make sense and then adding the narration actually pulls your attention away from certain things so it just makes less sense it's just oh, a yeah, garbled mess talk, you didn't even mention that the 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 plot point of how this movie starts is the weekend of July 4th a bunch of nuclear bombs are dropped in Texas just one oh okay just just one is yep. dropped in Texas in Abilene which starts, Texas which starts World War 3 which yes According to the movie, is America versus Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, and North Korea, and, and that Syria. is World War Three. That is World War Three. And and at this point, the U.S. actually, when Richard Kelly wrote this, the U.S. actually wasn't involved in a conflict with Syria. And since then, once again, we've been involved in a conflict with Syria. But my Richard Kelly that, predicted like, the future with this movie about predicting said, the future. Okay. But my pro okay, so this is why it was really hard for me to to really understand this movie going in because Go on. It, it literally sets the backdrop that this is. They even say World War Three started, so I'm like, okay, yes. so I'm expecting with all the backdrop of you know the highways have these visas and passports and yeah. you have to like in order traveling inside the United States. And I was like, okay, so we're gonna see like a very like like what is that security state. Martial type of law. like martial law America, yeah. like enemy of the state, Will Smith movie. Like yep. we're gonna see like maybe some Mad Max elements. And it's just normal America, but just America fighting the war on terror that they were already fighting. Yeah. Like it doesn't feel like there's a world war or even a war that's different from the real life war that's going on at the time of the movie happening at all. And it I kept waiting, and that was my biggest problem, is I kept waiting for that World War Three, like, the nuclear bomb that was dropped in America to come up again? Nope. It doesn't? Like, nope. that wouldn't just start a nuclear war? Like, it's that would just somehow start a world if, war? It's almost as if everyone's memories were so short in a time where they have so much access to all this information and influencers that they didn't care so much about it, and America kind of continued on regardless. So, like, America is fighting a world war by themselves against five countries? That doesn't make – I mean, it makes sense, but it I mean, doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's – it's fuck it. Yeah, dude, it's so <sighs> funny. Like, the, the – Is it? Is it funny? Yes. Is that what you're going to – that's what you're I think saying? it's you funny. I love this movie. I'm cracking up, like, every – you saw me. I was just laughing, like, the whole time. <sighs> I was like, this is great. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right, Odie, uh, honest review. What, what What do you think? Uh, on a scale of um, – on a scale oh. – <sighs> What, what, what are we going to rate this on? You have to come up with a rating system because on a, on a scale, I don't even of, know where you put this on a scale of, uh, I can't say flaming turd. Cause we already call it a flaming turd. Just give it one, one to 10. What do you give it? A one to 10. Yep. One to 10. What do you give it? Uh, like how, as how a this, movie or like this, enjoyment uh, factor? Uh, as a movie, as a movie one. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, no, no. That's too harsh. That's too harsh. That's too harsh. Um, Look, overall, I will say that if you can understand what the fuck is going on in this movie, you need help. It might be an enjoyable watch. And yeah. yes, you do need help. I kind of, now that you've explained what some things are supposed to be, even though yeah. even if we, we watched this four more times and you didn't tell me that, I still wouldn't have picked up on any of that that you said. Yeah. Um, at least it, it it 
a four. I give it a four. Yeah, I'm. I'm not a Richard Kelly fanatic, but there are people well, who done, are like, Richard Kelly fanatics. Exactly. There are people who love him though so what much that they him? love this movie, right? That's that's bad. I'm Don't do that. I'm not them, <laughs> but I do enjoy <laughs> that this ever even got made with the budget that it had. And I remember seeing it for the first time. And I saw it the same exact way I see Donnie Darko. And maybe this is why I love this movie so much. There's like a very funny nostalgia tied to this movie. The same way I would tie it to like a film like Idiocracy. Which isn't like an amazing film, but it's funny. And I I, I rented it in Hollywood video in like my late teens because I was bored. I was just like, what movie am I watching this weekend? I guess I'm watching Southland Tales. Oh, it's done by the guy who did Donnie Darko. I liked that, right? And then I just watched Southland Tales, and I'm like, "This is, I, I don't, I don't even know what to make of this." But okay, <laughs> like, is, have you seen his other movie? What? I, I don't know. There's a movie that came out after Southland Tales. I think it's like the last one he did. It's called The Box. I looked up an no. article, and it's the reason why, uh, like he's not making movies anymore. Oh, okay. Um, apparently the box, he went overboard with his, like, with his stuff, like what we saw in Southland Tales. Oh, so he Um, just keeps going. (laughs) Yeah. Apparently he's worked on projects in the last, like, you know, however long it's been, but without having his name on there, which makes Uh, me wonder. Um, and apparently he's trying to get, uh, according to this article, but his off-the-wall stories often get so crazy that he misses the human core of the tales he's telling. This is box office poison, as Kelly is trying hard to get a new project off the ground. I, I mean, I'd agree. Like, his, he's... The, even Donnie Darko. Like, if I had seen that in theaters, I probably would have been like, well, that was cool and angsty and I liked it. But, like, I wouldn't... I don't think yeah. I would have gotten it as much. And it did take me, like, two watches of the film to really understand the core elements of it, you know? Um, other than just, like, being like, oh, this is cool and Jake Gyllenhaal's a uh, cool, edgy <laughs> actor and, like, you know, uh, I like the soundtrack, which I did. Yeah. Like, and still do. Um same thing with Southland Tales. Like, I I watched it and I was like, I don't get this, but like, I think it's cool. Like, <laughs> and then well, it's awesome. as I've gotten older and my my taste in film has matured, I've been like, oh, that's a bad movie, <laughs> but I kind of love it. Like, I have this, I have this very got a place I, in your heart. Yeah, like I said, I love it the way that like people love the movie The Room, right? Like, I yeah, love I it. That. I love it the way that people like. I love it the way that people love something that can be like at at once very like ugly and repellent or not what you were expecting. And then also like a little bit sentimental. Um, I feel like I probably have a movie, a movie like that. And I will say everybody does. If you have three ninety nine, and you want to kill two and a half hours, make a drinking game out of it and some brain cells, take a gummy. Anytime you don't know what's going on. No, 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 no. Don't make a drinking game out of it. Just take a gummy. Just yeah, take a gummy gu- and turn this movie on and you will have a great time. <laughs> but but because I will it'll... say, like, <laughs> if you've listened this far 
and yeah. you're still like, what the fuck is this movie? Oh my god! If you have, th- if you have three ninety nine, or you can pirate it. I just was too just lazy. I was just like, <laughs> I just yeah, I just I look. My remote has the voice feature, and I was just like Southland Tales, and it was yeah. like Southland Tales rent for three ninety nine. I was like, I I don't care enough, and I was just like, I'm just gonna rent this. Shit. Same. I but, I also rented it. <laughs> if you have three ninety nine, or you can pirate it, yeah. and you're curious, it's two and a half hours. Look, at the very least, I will say, it's an experience. I should have. That experience, I think. I, I think you should have that experience. I feel like I should publicly thank you one more time for watching it with me, Odie. Uh, it's yeah, it's an experience for sure. Um, oh God, yeah, yeah, it's it's something. Um, I, I give yeah. I I would say it's the best four out of. I would give it a four as well. I would say it's the best yeah, four, four out of ten fair. movie I've ever seen, and it it's gonna hold that spot for me for a long time. Like it's just it's Makes one sense. of those ones, I. I would en- I enjoy hate watching this more than I enjoy hate watching. I also mentioned to you City of Bones, mm. which I did see in theaters and is over the top, but in an even worse way. And maybe you know what we should probably do, Odie, is we That's should the next one we should watch. And well, what we should do is once a season on this show because next oh. week we're <laughs> we're recording our season finale with Matt Pfeiffer. Once a season he on the show, we haven't even asked him yet. <laughs> uh, he he doesn't have a choice. Once a season on the show, we should record a um, we should record an episode where we we watch uh, a bad movie, like a movie that has bad ratings by a, a good director, right? And we should just talk about it, like just unpack what we can from it. I know exactly what movie we should do next. I know so many <laughs> because there yeah. was a time in my life There's where. A lot. I was working like 70 hours a week, Monday through Friday. And the only thing I wanted to do Friday when I got out of work was go, was like get high and cook up some Eggo waffles and go and rent a $5 movie from Walmart with a friend of mine, my buddy Chad. And like, that's what we did every Friday. We were like, we're like, Mm. dude, we made it through another week. Congrats to us. And we were like 22, you know? So we're like, all right, we fucking made it. Let's get high and go rent a $5 movie. And I watched so many movies in that time. So good. I love it. It was so good. So we should definitely. And the thing that I'll say about, because uh, we will eventually cover this. The thing I'll say about City of Bones. They had so many great actors in it. And it is such mm-hmm. a bad, bad. And I saw it in theaters. Well, it was on that I wave of young adult movies, theaters. like Hunger Games and Percy Jackson and The Host, Twilight, and all of those, all of those. All it was during it. that time period. It was like 2010. But it, it was also sense. kind of like at the tail end of that era. It wasn't 2010. Yeah. It was 2015. Oh my god, I was way off. Yeah, it was the <laughs> it was the tail end of that era. Yeah, they waited too long. Oh, uh, and it was bad. It was a show too, apparently. Uh, yes, they did make a CW show, probably also bad. Uh, CW shows are are like usually. famously bad. Usually, yeah, famously. Well, I think almost always because the one that's good, and I haven't seen it, but the one that's apparently good is Superman and Lois. But apparently, that's not like an official CW show. That's All like right, uh, whatever. And yeah, it does who cares? What's yep. your jam? Uh, my jam this week. I'm gonna stick with the weird and quirky. Uh, I've discovered an artist and immediately looked up where I could get tickets to go see her as she's on tour for her new album. And I found out that she was recently by me, oh. and my next chance to see her will most likely be next year. Uh, her name is Melanie Martinez. Are you familiar? 
I am not. Okay, cool. Uh, so Melanie <laughs> Martinez has been making music since I think 2014. Um, I oh, did wow. I did the thing that I do where I hyperfixate. I mean, we might as well just call this uh, podcast hyperfixated instead of unpop. Like <laughs> honestly, at that's this really point, what that's it is. What it feels like. Uh, so I hyperfixated on it because uh, a video came across my screen that was a music video. And it was so weird that I was like, I need to watch this entire music video now. And it's of her dressed up as a four-eyed fairy-like creature, like a fae-type creature with four eyes, completely in pink skin, um, with, like, a ton of cleavage and big pink uh, ears and, like, a crazy, like, pixie cut slash mullet and singing this song called Void. But the okay. lyrics are really good, and the sound quality is amazing, and the production's awesome, and, like, the song is actually – it's a bop. I fucking love it. So my big recommendation is people listen to the song Void by Melanie Martinez. It's, like – it's both sentimental and meaningful, but at the same time, like, fantastical and a little bit dreamlike. And then I discovered that she has a, a whole – like she has a discography of this she has three Ooh. albums and they they chronicle a journey the first one is called crybaby the second one is called k through 12 and this new one is called portals and what she's done is in crybaby and k through 12 she has unpacked her own personal trauma while artistically expressing mm. the experiences of a young adult female in modern society uh, really just like a young adult person um, and like a lot of what can happen that would traumatize someone. And then uh, in portals, that character has died and been reborn as in fact a fairy and is <laughs> now traveling through this like afterlife esque experience. I'm a sucker for a concept album. Like if mm. it's, if it's good music, I'm going to say if it's even like, if the music is anywhere from like a six to a 10 out of 10 and this music, I would say is like eight to 10 out of 10 on almost every track. Uh, it reminds me of Bjork, which is in my eight to 10 spectrum. Cause I love Bjork, but, um, it, it, I'm a sucker for a concept album and this is a concept album. And I just discovered her and immediate, this is how much I liked it. I was like, I need to go see her in person. I need to see the, I need to see the stage show for this. Cause I guarantee it's very Alice in Wonderlandy. Um, and mm. she actually more overtly references Alice in Wonderland, uh, in a couple different songs throughout her discography. But I'm just like, I was blown away, one, that I had never heard of her, two, that I'm just hearing of her now, three, that she's this far along in this concept, four, that she's actually really popular. Like, people love her. Like, and it's, I'm assuming, because I'm just hearing about it, that it's a younger female crowd primarily that loves her because that's what her music seems like. The lyrics, obviously... They pander to her experiences, which would most readily identify with, you know, a younger crowd. Um, but I loved that. And then uh, continuing with the the quirk. Well, not continuing with the quirkiness. I would just say I'm I'm tripling down on my recommendation that people drop their other subscriptions and watch Apple TV. The oh, silo yeah. <laughs> has been amazing. Uh, I'm absolutely loving it. I've got two episodes left, even though the season's already done because I don't binge watch. I just yeah. don't. I don't. I try not I try not to binge anything. Right? Like yeah, I try not, not really. to binge because binging should not be 
a normalized term in our lives. Like we shouldn't be normalizing binging. Like binging yeah. anything. Binging Very food, dangerous. that's bad. Binging any sort of addiction or habit, bad. So binge watching, when you use that term, I'm very like cognizant of it, at least for myself. Like when I say binge watching, I'm like, I'm like, oh, I binge watched something. I should take a break, you know. Um, so I'm trying not to binge watch anything. Uh, but the silo has been amazing. I highly recommend Apple TV. What 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 is your jam, Odie? Um. Well, I watched Southland Tales. Okay. Uh, and that took up fifty percent of my capacity. Okay. And then I thought about Southland Tales, and that took up another 80% of my capacity. Great. So you're, um, you're maxed out already. Uh, you're still I recovering watched... from Southland Tales. <laughs> I'm still – just talking about it set me back. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I watched – I saw Ashwood City in theaters again. I yep. made plans to go see Indiana Jones and still have not. <gasps> I thought you were uh, going to see that. I thought we were going to see it together. Okay. Well, we can go see it together, yeah. Sure. All right. Great. Can't wait. Um yeah. No, so I, Fallout Boy, did a updated version of We Didn't Start the Fire. Yep. Now look, whether you're a Fallout, Boy, Fallout Boys fan or not. Or a Billy Joel I, fan. I think I could call myself a Fallout Boy fan because I do like some of their songs, but okay. I cannot say that I have sat down in the last 10 years and listened to a Fallout Boy album from start to finish. Like I have. I can't say I've done that, but there are songs that I like. Mm -hmm. So their version of We Didn't Start the Fire is honestly like, I love it. Because it's everything yeah. that I lived through. And I think it's really fucking good. Good. Um, so I've been jamming to that. But then, mainly what I did, I uh, didn't really watch a lot this week. Mm -hmm. I watched a couple YouTube behind-the-scenes making of. Yeah. Because, as I mentioned earlier... Um, I am in pre-production for my short film, so I'm getting a lot of like Yay. inspiration and watching some big productions. Yep. So I watched an hour and a half YouTube documentary about the making of Dune, which included uh, interviews with Dennis Villeneuve and my man Greg Frazier, which I absolutely was a big fan of. Awesome. Um, and then I also watched a director's like roundtable with like Quentin Tarantino and Ron Howard and a few others, which was really cool. Yep. And then I watched, um, yeah, I think that was pretty much it, honestly. Um, the big thing that I really, 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 really liked was uh, if you if you like Dune or if you saw Dune or if you saw the new trailer for Dune Part 2 and you're interested, I think you, if you're, you should watch this documentary. I'm going to send it to you because I think you'd really like it. Yep. I was a big fan. If you're a big fan of like how movies get made, seeing the sets, production design oh, bringing things stuff. to life yeah um you know seeing the passion behind the people behind the project is always fascinating to me and seeing these people and how much they loved working on dune like there's a lot of um, interviews with like jason momoa and timothy chalamet and other yep. actors in the movie and like m jason momoa has a really funny line where he's like they're in the desert of um uh where petra is the D dubai uh not dubai um Whatever, they shot the movie in the desert, and Jason Momoa was like, I've never seen a rock like that, and I'm a rock climber. And he's just like, and then it just cuts to him where he's just like staring at a rock, like walking towards it very slowly, like mesmerized. It's, a really, it's just a really interesting behind the scenes yeah. making of. It's really That's good. Cool. It's really good. Nice. Yeah. 
I thought you'd appreciate that. I will appreciate it. Um, I'm going to add on to our jam section. I, my real jam this week and what has taken up a lot of my intent and attention in my free time is that I am going to play D&D today with uh, actually oh. uh, a couple of filmmakers who are good friends of mine. Uh, and I'm very excited to play. We have like a small group. Like it's if I like our our table is basically like it's me as the dungeon master and then uh, I've two filmmakers, uh, a stand up comedian and like and two uh, office workers like, oh, dude, it's, and all of us are like very creative people. And uh, we we start we did like a little character creation session earlier this week, which was a ton of fun. And I'm really looking forward to like crafting stories in real time again with people. So that's awesome. Yeah, I love D and D. It's such a it's like if you want to like understand how to story craft, I think getting yourself into the mindset of a DM or a player in a game that you know you're making a backstory and you're coming up with, I, I think D and D can teach you if you're playing it. If you're playing it to a certain level, it can teach you how motivation actually works and translates into action in a story or a film. Um, yeah, like very, very well because you're 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 constantly. If you're not playing, I'm not gonna say if you're not playing correctly, but if if you're not playing it in a way that's inspiring you to continue playing, to it's not motivating you to immerse yourself then you find that like your your character lacks motivation the same way that you do because you're self-inserting right you're you're creating these things and then interacting with each other and i think that's been the allure of D over the past like decade really um and why more and more people have gotten into it and why there's been a, such a huge popularity boom is like we're we're better at analyzing story than ever before we're more inundated with story than ever before we're consumers and creators of stories in our own rights and it gives you that outlet to learn more about what your process of creating a story is and then to elevate that level it makes it an interactive uh, experience so the interactive element of story creation adds to it in that then you're improvising with people in real time to craft a story that is meaningful to you and the, the character that you've created and them and the characters that they've created. And then you have like this DM who's kind of like analyzing and alchemizing every little interaction that's happening and trying to decide what's most meaningful and motivating to happen next. So yeah. that's my little ad. <laughs> Very passionate <laughs> about D and D. I can tell. Yeah. Um, awesome. And then next week I'll see you in person. Bam. Yeah. Matt Pfeiffer. That's what I'm pumped about. Hanging out, yeah. birthday times, friends, stuff like that. Odie, you got anything to end this podcast with? Any any final comments on the, uh, the glory glorious films of Wes Anderson and Richard Kelly? Um, yeah. Uh, Sean William Scott gets shot in the face and lives. I thought that was interesting. Yep. Like, just straight up shot in the straight face. Straight up shot in the like, face and lives. He's fine. Yep. He's totally fine. So. Hey, do you, do you want to get demonetized at the end of this podcast? Sure. Okay. I'm not so, but I'm not <laughs> a soldier. I got so, but I'm not a soldier. I'm not so, but I'm not a
Mustard. Do the fucking words. <laughs>